stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone. Does anyone have any sugary drinks? We kind of need them after that race. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. No kids, I couldn't even pretend to be excited about this one, but we've got to do it. Welcome to episode 142 of Motorsport 101. Welcome back, if you, could, if you come off 141. I'm your host, Andre Harrison, and uh, it's the moment you've totally been waiting for, everybody. I know you're all hyped as fuck for this. Um, we will get into the Monaco Grand Prix shortly. But we had to pad the show out with something, and there's a fun story we've got to, we've got to cover. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Very... <laughs> <laughs> you didn't read the notes, King? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! That that is a that is a Patreon exclusive. If you sign up for our Patreon <laughs> and get exclusive ASCAC access to the Discord, then you can read what happened. I'll give you a brief synopsis later on. <laughs> I feel like we're doing a disservice to our to all of our listeners who listen yes. to this fine motorsport podcast, which you can now listen to on motorsport101.com, baby. Oh, yes, crazy. yes you yes you can. As mentioned in episode 141. Um, <laughs> yes, we are now on motorsport101.com. Again, special thanks to Steph Hunter for hooking us up with that domain name. Again, it happened live during Day of Classics 3, which you can watch in its entirety on our YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. It was a fun time for all involved. My ears have not stopped ringing yet from uh, Dolcic Glaswegian tones from one Zoe Hamilton, who's still with us again. Hello, Zoe. Headphones are not required for the first part. <laughs> Just the second part. You, you laugh at this right now. She's telling us this while having a drink of frozen chocolate mousse surrounded by Baileys. Um, this show is causing us to have drinking problems. Um, <laughs> other beverages are available, preferably not with a Monaco Grand Prix in tow. Just saying. <laughs> also, we have RJ O'Connell back with us. Hello, sir. Hello. Um, yes, as as mentioned, um, I uh, I had to uh, scramble to get Day of Classics, the first part of Day of Classics, up and running for the Monaco Grand Prix. Thank you so much to Drain King who helped me kind of fumble through that. Um, yep. At one point, um, to give an example of how this was going. I tried to look for the photo of uh, Gustav Malia from the Porsche Super Cup race <laughs> doing like a fucking Dukes of Hazard jump over the sausage curbs. Which was probably nice. one of the three most entertaining things about Monaco Grand Prix weekend, uh, apart from the F2 race. Um, and in doing so, I wanted to switch over to my Twitter, which means I had to take my browser off of guest mode, which caused the whole screen to crash, and I didn't realize we were offline for a good 20 laps. Don't worry, you didn't miss much. <laughs> you didn't miss much at all. We came in just in time for maybe the high point of drama in the race. And we'll get we'll get to that high point of drama later on. High point of high point of drama is said in inverted commas. Um, <laughs> um, in the context of that race, 
sure, um, if you want to go with that. Um, yeah, let's get the general housekeeping out of the way and we can go in and we can dive feet first into this. Places you can find us, as mentioned, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. As said, all of Day of Classics free is on demand and available on there as we speak. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell, and at We Zoe. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to this show and Bike Live. Don't forget, Bike Live will also be up later this weekend. Episode 62 will be covering all the news coming out of World Superbikes at Donington Park this past weekend. As the shocker, for the first time in 50 races, a bike in red or green didn't win. Yes, Michael Vandermark going double Dutch with a double victory, which kind of shocked everybody, really, which was nice. Oh, and I didn't mention this on the last episode. Anna Carrasco won again. Awesome. Yeah. Anna Carrasco kicking the boys' asses in. Um, it's awesome. Go, Anna. Um, she's a bad motherfucker. Um, so, yes, all of that and much more coming out of Donington. And a preview for MotoGP when it's my favorite round of the calendar this weekend. It's Magello. I can't fucking wait. It's going to be lit. Um, for those guys that aren't bike fans... Give Moto3 a watch at Magello. Slipstream City, bitch. Oh, dear Lord. That is like the... I circle that on the <laughs> on the bike racing calendar every year. Moto3 at Magello, 10 a.m. in the morning. It shall be lit. Um, so all of that and Michael Vandermark's double victory in World Superbikes at Donington. All of that and more on Bike Live later this week. And if you get back at the ten dollar level, you get early act on that even earlier access, I should say, to this show because you can listen to the shows as they're being recorded live on Discord, um, and you get access to King's nightlife. Trust me, <laughs> it's it's more interesting than I'm making it sound. I, I <laughs> um, it, it it is a fun time for all involved. King, give him a brief synopsis, like you mentioned. Ah, uh, the brief synopsis. Uh... Memorial Day, Memorial Day night, and man, alcohol was involved. Uh, <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> someone, that goes without saying. Someone got taken down and put in a full mount and then beat the shit out of, then waterboarded, and then thrown out of a home, left to his own devices, uh... There, there are a whole other story. There are a lot of other story threads in there, but that's the primary story thread that I'm going with in the synopsis. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, if you want to see the whole thing, it is on our Discord server. And if that alone isn't worth ten bucks, the concept of one king being at a party, and and two, like full mounts and torture being involved. <laughs> Like literal yo, torture. Like, yo, apparently King was doing some like judo shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> apparently Ryan King channeled his in the, his inner Ronda Rousey. Who'd have thought it? Um, if uh, that alone isn't worth ten bucks, I don't know what is. Quite frankly, um, like where can you get more for the for your entertainment dollar? Um, so, so if we read that story, why not back us at ten bucks? Just saying. Um, and, come and Jordan. Like, 
if you're listening to this podcast, I'm so sorry. <laughs> As a guy that has read this full story, that is even more hilarious. Um, like, like, come for the story, stay for the podcast. Um, so, without further ado, I can put this off no longer. I look through my notes. Ah, crap. Yep. After this musical interlude, let's talk the Monaco Grand Prix. Ladies and gentlemen, to the Principality, the place of royalty, of trendsetters, and uh, uh, event makers and influencers. This is where all the high rollers and celebrities come to gather. Um, you can have your Indianapolis 500s, you can have your Coca Cola 600, but nothing is as good as the ESPN broadcasted Monaco Grand Prix, according to ESPN employee Darren Ravel. Yeah, because sometimes <laughs> life comes hit at you at the speed of James Davison. <laughs> as in, as in, like, un, uh, as in, like, like, quite slowly in this case, then, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, well, we we can dodge this one no longer. Um, so, RJ, what do you reckon for the NBA Finals next week? I mean, uh... <laughs> um, I gotta go. Um, I'm definitely going. Um... That's just the thing, because LeBron is having the series of his life right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But the Cavs are a much more complete... The Warriors are a much more complete team, and it would not surprise me if the Warriors made it 3 out of 4. But i got to say, the way LeBron is playing, I-, I think he could single-handedly take over the series and win it in seven games one more time. Yeah, in a... Uh, retire on top. In a, in, a, in a Memorial Day story-related note, uh, water boarders support Cleveland, so... I'm supporting Golden State in this final series. <laughs> Go Steph uh, Curry. <laughs> yes. Interestingly enough, through my time, um, through my time as a, I'm, I guess I'm a semi-retired voice actor now. I am, uh, I'm one degree of separation away from being friends with, uh, with uh, Steph Curry because, uh, because Devin Mack, who is a, uh, who's accomplished voice actor and caster, um, went to, uh, went, he's from Toronto, and he was. Going to school, the same school that Steph Curry went to when he went up to Canada randomly for one year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I am one de- st- degree away of separation separated from being friends with Kevin Durant. How'd you pull that one off? Uh, because uh, Kevin Durant used to play for Oklahoma City, where he was teammates with Steven Adams, which I lived with for a year. <laughs> Wow. I do remember you telling me that, actually. I do remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Stephen Adams is the most interesting man in the NBA. Um, oh, my God. He's uh, a whole lot inter- more interesting off camera. Oh, God, yeah. I, I've, I've heard many a story. Um, is it as interesting as um, whenever, like, TNT puts uh, Shaq and Charles in, like, the uh, the Little Tykes uh, studio desk? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Look at the thing, it looks so tiny when they're sitting around it. I know, right? I know, it's terrible. Um, so, with the Monaco Grand Prix in mind, um, 
Audrey, did you see game one of the Stanley Cup finals last night? <laughs> oh my goodness, I did not. Um, but I'll tell you, I'm very impressed with the way the Vegas Golden Knights have just uh, congealed as a team. Um, mm-hmm. Again, this is a team that was mostly castaways from other organizations. I mean, one only has to look at uh, their top scorer, William Carlson, who was basically mm. left on the scrap heap by the Columbus Blue Jackets and then breaks out and has a 43-goal regular season and is consistently been upping his game in the playoffs the golden knights play a fun up-tempo style of hockey their presentation of the pregame especially is always fun and engaging and their template of what the nhl should be like at all times instead of being stuffy and vestigial and you know constantly wanting to take things back to 1979 like I, I, yeah. uh, the, the problem you know what the fun part is urinating tree picked the washington capitals to win which means vegas will actually win the stanley cup you heard it here first Vegas will yeah. win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I would be okay with seeing Alexander Ovechkin finally win a Stanley Cup with the Capitals. Me too. Um, yeah, I, I just part of me still feels like Nashville could have easily won that series. Yeah, but I want to make one point about um, how bland the personalities in the NHL are. Is it any is it any surprise that the NHL has a personality problem when most of the official nicknames for all for players are just a shortened down version of like their last name ending in Y and E R? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I know you did tune in out in droves here. I promise you, we'll talk about Monaco now. Okay, I'm sorry. Right, Daniel Ricardo won. We have to. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, basically, you can find us on YouTube.com. Okay, I'm joking. I'm, I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. Yes. It wasn't all that routine. No, it like, no. Like, and I have to say, like, and, and on a side note, Daniel Ricciardo's qualifying that was absolutely spectacular. That alone was worth the price of admission. Um, the, the first ever 72nd lap of Monaco. Um... Yeah, that's the thing. Monaco qualifying is uh, typically a lot more spicy than the race itself. That's just what happens when you have a track with so narrow margins and so little places overtake. Indeed. But it's such a fun thing to drive in video games. And Dan Ricardo, what a lap. Yeah, that, what a freaking that was God. That was an astonishing lap. That was up there, and I'm being personally a little bit biased here, but it reminded me of Vettel in Singapore in 2015 when he... Or already gotten pole position, but he just took another three temps off it just to say fuck you to the rest of the field, basically. And uh, I've watched that lap about twenty times over because it was it, it was a bit special. And Ricardo's was up there. That was a uh, that was art um, as, in, as as a time trial, essentially. Only man in the one tens in Q three in the end, and um, was on pole by a couple of temps from Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. Um, there was there was a brief threat of rain. It was spitting a little bit in the pit lane about half an hour to go. Um, which oh, on, on off note tangent, the grid walk on Channel Four was absolutely ridiculous. I was watching it on Channel Four at work. We don't have we we like William Miller cheapskates. They can't afford Sky, but um, it's one of those. Oh my god! <clears throat> but um. Yeah, like I was watching it on Channel Four at work, and um, obviously, like if you guys don't, don't watch Channel Four's coverage for whatever reason, um, David Coulthard and Mark Webber like kind of tag teamed the grid walk, and it was the most heaped Monaco grid walk of all time. Like you you could barely walk down it because obviously Monaco's narrow enough, and it's just loaded with celebrities and important people. 
Um, I know Sky interviewed Flavio, which is a shit idea. What the fuck are you doing, Martin Brundle, you idiot? But, but then uh, they immediately turned around and redeemed themselves by interviewing Touchdown Tom. Yeah, Channel 4 had him too. Yeah, like um, uh, Tom Brady was down there this weekend representing the New England Patriots. And you know what's funny about it? Like to- DC nearly got taken out by one of Tom Brady's security Yeah, like one of, like, one of the security guards apparently was was was, was uh, grappling with Mark in a sensitive area, which I thought was quite funny. Um, security's like, who is this Who is this Australian guy? Why is he so close to Tom? But I did find it funny as well. Can, is he a gym rat and can he run routes? <laughs> <laughs> He's got deceptive speed, RJ. Don't worry about it. Um, he's sneaky fast. Um, but it's one of those... He really does. Yeah, I, I did find it funny though, is that Tom Brady has started liking a ton of F1 posts on Instagram. So I think he's a fan now. Like, No, I think he, I think he was more of a fan of Lance Stroll's deflating tires. <laughs> well... You, you, you had to go there, didn't you, King? I I had to. I had to. Like, as as much as a superstar Tom Brady is, he is still quarterback of the New England Patriots, and I can't stand for that. Yes, yes, yes. In, in, indeed, from the team that can't even tank properly. Um, <sighs> oh, my God. Yes, enjoy your third pick, sir. Um, anyway. <laughs> Third's good enough. You say that now, but you'll be like, like before you like. Are you going to be down to like starting Christian Hackenberg this season? Is that it? <laughs> yes. Let's let's just move Christian on. Christian Hackenberg plays for the team. Anymore. Yeah, like I think he got traded. Oh yeah, he, he, yeah. Apparently he's gone now, which is probably for the best. Um, and let, let's stop talking about King Sorry Jets. And let's talk about his Sorry Knicks instead. Um, <laughs> I'm joking, but uh, no, like Tom Brady was down there. That was funny. Uh, again, I think he's an F1 fan now because he's. Uh, um, <laughs> I'll just mention Henry said that Hackenberg was traded for a seventh round. They spent a second round pick on Hackenberg, had him for a year, and traded him for a seventh. Well done, Jets. Um, the great, great team management there. Oh, it was conditional too. Even better. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, as I was saying, like Tom, Bra- like Tom Brady is now liking F1 posts on Instagram. So I, I said, I think he's a fan now. Like he he, he liked the, the throwback to Kimi Räikkönen's tires falling off at uh, Germany 2005, which I thought was quite funny. Um, he's he's in now, kids. He's in. He's one of the cool kids. Um, so that was fun. Um, <laughs> uh, other stuff like, like Hugh Grant was down there. I saw him down there. He was a guest of Ferraris, so that, that that was funny. I saw Dwayne Wade was down there in the Lewis Hamilton camp, probably there to maybe get a little plug in for the Miami race coming next year. You know, you know given that uh, he's one of the faces of that city, sports wise. So you know, a lot of a lot of the usual. Um, if the Cavs win, does does Dwayne Wade get a ring? I don't know. But the, like, how many games is the qualifier? Because like I remember, like Man City did this in their last league game of the season, where I think where like right. they played like Foden in there because they knew you had to get you had to play in five games to get a winners medal, and he played them on the last game of the season to make sure they got winners medals. So I don't know what the requirement is. is I don't know what the requirement is in the NBA, but uh, Wade's got enough rings. Damn it! Seriously, you got four. Stop being greedy. Um. Anyway, <laughs> like the race itself and. Like it got, yes. it, it it was a fairly routine start. Daniel Ricciardo, you know, survived an early attack from Sebastian into turn one. Um, tried up the hill, nothing, nothing doing there. Ricciardo had about a second and a half, two seconds in hand. Um, 
we got to the only pit stop of the day. I mean, I did find it quite funny that Peretti was saying that the Hypersoft tyre could go the entire race distance, um, which immediately pissed yeah. off a lot of people. Like, well, what's the fucking point of the Hypersoft then if they can go the entire race distance? Even though that proven to be completely untrue, I really think it was either a typo or Pirelli meant that the tire could physically hold up for the whole race distance. Like, it would not be in its optimal range for the entire race. Yeah, because, like, Mercs after FP3 came up, like, saying that the tire is only good for about seven laps. So... Yeah, it's it's like saying you uh, you showed up to work with three hours of sleep and a wicked hangover. Like, yeah, you're still at work. Uh huh. You're technically <laughs> clocked in. Indeed. So you know, apparently. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was the ultra, not the super softs that could that apparently could last the whole race. This so we so we're back to like Sochi twenty fourteen again, where like Nico Rosberg went fifty or fifty two laps on the medium. Those were fun times. Um, yeah. So like, in other words, Peretti have no idea what they're doing about their tire ranges, and I should stop listening to them. Um, we, mm, yeah, because apparently Liberty Media have requested that they simplify the tire. The, the tire naming system next year and whatever they bring to a racetrack whatever compound it is it has to be labeled hard medium soft thank you nobody gives a shit how soft your tire is like seriously like, <laughs> no one gives a shit how soft how, it. how can they make all that money off the bracelets then oh they'll find a way like it's like like, uh, I, I said it on Twitter during the build-up to the race. I said, like, let's call this what this is from Pirelli. It's just them shithousing their way of trying to sell more keychains and replicas. And if and they're doing a damn good And job. if you're one of those people that like are spending 500 plus quid on a 1x2 replica of a Pirelli tyre, seek help. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was a thing. That was that, that, that played a factor because I, I think in that race, Lewis Hamilton was the first to blink on the Hypersoft tyre and box on, I think it was lap 12 of 78. And they they were the first guys to say, listen, these tyres are only good for about seven laps. So I wasn't entirely surprised that Hamilton was in first. First, um, that you know the the Ferrari and the Red Bull ran a little bit longer. Ferrari, I think, did the right thing. They tried the undercut. Um, Red Bull covered them off um, a lap later. Ricardo got back out in front, um, which is funny because Red Bull were now on the ultra the ultra soft tire and not the hyper soft. That's going to get really confusing after a while. But um, yeah. they said they were they were basically firing blind because. Red Bull brought so few sets to the weekend, they basically had no data on the Ultrasoft and how it was going to cope. And Sebastian was reading Daniel back in a little bit, and then a bombshell dropped on lap 24, RJ. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, Vettel was staying within the pace, and then all of a sudden, he started catching up, like, abnormally fast. As it turns out, Daniel Ricciardo's MGUK, that's the thing that uh, drives the tire to the rear axle, that, that bed of the hybrid. Yeah, that went. So Daniel Ricciardo, because he has an engine problem, is now down 25% of his total horsepower. Yeah, which it was some 25%, which is like approximately somewhere between 160 to 200 horsepower. Yep. So, like, Daniel Ricciardo was significantly slower on the straights, and... Okay, I will tip my hat off to Daniel for being able to win a race of a car like that, but I have a couple of caveats here. 
Uh, and, you know, I, I have to, because like, I know people were very quick to gush about this one because, let's be real here, it's Daniel Ricardo. He's extremely popular and people love him. And the fact that, you know, he pulled off this hero drive on the face of it, you know, is going to be good for business. This would not have worked on any other track. Not even close. No. It, it wouldn't have. It, it really wouldn't, it wouldn't have. work. It wouldn't even work on this track two years yeah, ago. Because, yeah, because the cars are wired and these new cars. You, like, we saw very little in terms of overtaking in this Grand Prix. Verstappen was was responsible for the vast majority of it, given that, again, he had about a two-second lap advantage on... No, like... I, go on, go on, go on. And I think we need to clarify one thing, one specific sure. thing. The cars, the cars wider is not in terms of... It's an overtaking problem, not in the way you think it is. It's not in, like, there's not enough room to no. get around. It's more of, because the car is wider, it's creating even more dirty yeah, air. Yeah, it's, it's even more dirty air. If you're running within a second of another car, even on Monaco, which is one of the slowest tracks, if not the slowest track we go to, I think I think it's the second slowest behind Singapore for average speed. Um, it's going to cause a lot of problems. Um, and like I said, unless you've got like about a two-second lap car, which is what Vax Verstappen had, and which is why he was carving his way through the through the lesser field. Oh yeah, that's right. We didn't talk about the fact that Max Verstappen probably could have mm. been winning this race if not for the fact that in free practice three, he um, he just. Gave the uh, the inside barrier of the swimming pool just a just a little bit, bit of a nudge, just a, a tiny boop. Uh, what's that gonna do except right off the whole car? So we can't qualify, so we have to start the race at the back. For those keeping count at home, that is now the sixth major incident Max Verstappen has had in six race weekends so far this season. And the thing of- is that it is also a shot-for-shot remake of an accident that Max Verstappen has had at Monaco before. Yeah, they re- in 2016. They, they- yep. Yep, they showed the same accident he had in 2016, and again, it was the same session. FP3, he drives over the swimming pool curb and basically torpedoes himself into the wall. Um, F1 put it side by side. They are virtually identical incidents, Um, which was kind of spooky in a sense. But yeah, it basically... um, it basically ruined Verstappen's weekend. There was more damage to the car than Red Bull initially thought, and they couldn't get him out for Q1, and that put Verstappen on the back alongside Kevin Magnussen, and that essentially ruined Verstappen's race. He would go on to finish, I believe, in ninth place in the end. Um, oh, yes. And, uh, you know, he got a couple of points to salvage the situation, but again, this is the sixth major incident Verstappen has had in six. He's not had a perfectly clean weekend all the way through yeah and i think uh i don't usually put too much stock into like practice at sentence because it's it's practice but here um and here and especially since it took him out of qualifying uh yeah this one was actually kind of significant and they were also Mm kind of hoping that uh this wasn't a shot for shot remake of ricardo's 2016 race where um had the lead had every inclination of just Mm -hmm. sitting on this race for 78 laps and then uh Oh, where's my tires? Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, on that sense, I am glad that Ricardo did get his redemption because he did deserve that win in 2016 and he didn't get it, and I'm glad he got this one here. And, yeah, it was a it was a stunning bit of driving from Daniel to make that work, but let's not also pretend like 
this would not have worked anywhere else but Monaco. Pat said Hungary. The, the front straight is long enough where that would have been a difference if Vettel was close enough. And we, we, see, we saw that Kimi was able to run close with Vettel last year when he had his damage steering. So I think I don't think Hungary would have worked out either, um, in my humble opinion anyway. But even so, like... <sighs> It's it's a it was a it was a great performance in the context of Monaco, but you know they rolled the dice like 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 that. If you're gonna have an engine-related screw up, Monaco would be the absolutely perfect place to do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just and, ask uh, just ask Sir Serling Moss, who had about a hundred fifty horsepower deficit to the Works Ferraris in 1961, and still blew them all away. Yeah, that that's just to show you that uh, Monaco has never been a good place for overtaking. Oh yeah, Indeed. Um, Daniel Ricciardo also had uh, not only 75% of his power, he had 75% of his gears. Pretty soon, legend will tell that Daniel Ricciardo's car was being held up by chewing gum and uh, paper clips. Yeah, he only had least. he only had basically only had gears one through six. Um, they don't use eight for Monaco anyway. He was actually driving a Renault. He was actually driving a Renault Twingo in that event. <laughs> That's what they'll say in 25 years. Coming soon Daniel to Gran Ricardo. Turismo Sports. <laughs> yes, Daniel Ricardo was uh, was actually uh, running it like the Flintstones car. Like yes, he was just like pedaling it with his actual feet. It's, it's basically it's it's basically a mini driver's cartoon at this point. Um, so that's that's fun in the end. Um, yeah, Daniel would go on to win, and honestly. This is me being, this is, okay, I openly admit this is me being slightly salty. I don't normally admit this. Feel free to roast the shit out of me. N-A-C-L. Yep, yep. <laughs> I, op I, I hold my hands up to this as leader of the Sebastian Vettel fraternity. That race was fucking infuriating to watch. And, and not for the reasons you expect. I say this because... Was anybody watching the timing tower and seeing the gap go up and down because obviously Ricardo was so much faster in sector three than the Ferraris yeah, like pretty much all weekend, but on the straights he was gaining like half a second. So the gap was constantly going up between like 1.3 and 0.7 and it was utterly infuriating. Yeah, so uh, probably the best way to watch this race, which was the way I watched most of it on the day of classics, was... With Valium? No, 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 on... Uh, Daniel Ricardo's onboard camera. If you have F1 TV Pro, you can watch on the onboard cameras. You can watch Daniel Ricardo's onboard camera and exclusively his team radio. And pretty much most, like the vast majority of the conversation is his team engineer telling him where the two cars behind him are. <sighs> that was one of the most infuriating hateful races I have ever watched in the 19-20 years I've been watching F1. I can't remember one that has utterly infuriated me as much as that one. And again, not really Ricardo's fault. It, and, you know, it, it, I, I wasn't expecting much because it's Monaco. And I know Monaco is just terrible from a hardcore fan standpoint. It's great for casual fans because it's, it's one of the few events that even casual viewers will tune in for because it's Monaco. But given the context of Ricardo's car issues, it made that race unbearable. And uh, Pat, I know you're listening on. I do not care what you tell me. Monaco <laughs> is a dumpster fire. Uh, it is a rolling dumpster fire in, in gift form, like, 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 like I always do with certain trashy things. And I don't care what anyone says to me. Get rid of it. I've had enough of no, Monaco. Like, I, I think Monaco can be saved. It's a car problem. Again, this race had its moments, but it... It was all tension 
straight into a denouement with no climax at all. But, like, I, I wouldn't even say it was tense, because, like, it was becoming obvious that, like, after five or six laps that there was no way Sebastian was coming through. Yeah, um, I talked with one of my with my friends in the hockey circles who said that yeah, Daniel Ricardo may have taken pole, um, but he doesn't trust Red Bull on Sunday. To which I replied, "Yeah, uh, but track position is king at Monaco, and Daniel Ricardo can just sit on this race for seventy eight laps." Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. And if anything, it got worse after the end of race virtual safety car, and that was down to. Um, Charles Leclerc running into the back of Brendan Hartley because Charles had, had had a spectacular brake failure um, from behind going into the Novell chicane. Um, his brakes had failed. He put his foot hard down. Nothing was happening. Bless him. Charles is a very clever young man. Like, tried leaning up against the wall to try and slow it down as much as he could because he knew he'd had a brake failure. Um, and next thing you know, he's humping the back of Hartley's car. They're both out of the race. Um, Hart- and who said we were done talking about Memorial Day hookups on Motorsport? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Charles Leclerc is a frisky Monaco man. God bless him for getting, for getting like, in there with the Kiwi. The saddest part about that is like both Hartley and Leclerc were having probably one of their best races of the season so far. Yeah, both yeah. both, both were due for very good finishes. That was a real shame. Both had had very good weekends across the board. That was a real shame for obviously Brendan Hartley. There was nothing Hartley could do. Um, nothing Charles could do. Just just an unfortunate accident. I mean, Charles apparently apologised to Brendan even though he had no real reason to. He's a very nice guy, but Charles, he's a classy gent. But uh, that caused a virtual safety car. And for some stupid reason after the virtual safety car, Ricardo was, was given like an extra second and a half. And I think Ferrari at that point just in the towel. They're like, fuck it, we're not winning this. <laughs> we'll take a second, we're getting the hell up out of here. Because uh, Ricardo ended up winning by 7.3 seconds in the end. It, again, it doesn't really tell the full story. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, like, I know a lot of people would, would call that race tense. I understand. I think you're wrong, but I understand. <laughs> but uh, what? How, how would... Um... My question is though, how would in a in a similar environment to the one we live in now, how would F1 Twitter react to another race at Monaco that was best remembered for a very tense situation where ultimately nobody passed? 1992, Senna versus Mansell. Mansell had a clearly superior car, cannot make a move. That's the thing. It's like, you know what I call it? It's it, it, that's it's Senna. It, it's like. But that's <laughs> Senna. One, that is Senna, and of course we apply anything with Senna with an extra level of um, dicks being hard. But at the same time, <laughs> um, it reminds me a lot of 2011, and 2013 was another example as well, where 2011 it was Sebastian and the wearing tyres, and like the the traffic jam of Fernando and Jensen Button behind him, that was never going like, to... It was becoming clear they were never going to pass him. And, and, and after the Maldonado red flag happened and they were allowed to change tyres on the grid during the red flag, that killed the intrigue there. And in 2013, when Weber basically had a procession for 78 laps. So, like, can we also uh, can we also talk about Stoffel Van Dorn uh, getting pitted under the VSC and unintentionally giving Ricardo a one-car buffer to Vettel? <laughs> like, Stoffel was, like, was pissed in general. He spoke to Autosport after the race, and he reckoned like he was left out for five laps too long during during um, the, the round of pit stops, and as a result, he kind of gifted Fernando Alonso extra positions. 
Um, Stoffel was pissed. Not like it mattered in the end because no. after 52 laps, Fernando Alonso's very reliable uh, Renault power plant uh, just decided it was done. So for the second Memorial Day weekend in a row, a very orange car driven by Fernando Alonso breaks down. And, and he really can... wishes he was at the end of the Indy 500. Yep, gearbox failure. Uh, another fact, on both occasions, uh, Catherine was at the events. Oh! Oh, that's uh, that's our friend Catherine Benham. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the Harbinger of Doom. The, the yeah. Alonzo assassin. Yes. <laughs> I'm not complaining about this personally, but here we are. Like, Catherine, good more races. Um, but, uh, yeah, Stoffel complained to the team afterwards saying that, you know, he felt like his race was sacrificed for Fernando. And I'm like, hey, Stoffel, welcome to McLaren. Are you new here? Pull up a seat. <laughs> Bless him. It's taken him, like, two years of friendship for him to cotton on. <laughs> Go on, Zoe. Only this time the British media won't care. Like they did for Lewis. Of course they won't, because it's Stoffel. He's the innocent Belgian guy, and they'll just say, well, Stoffel, why aren't you being faster? Why are you having such a poor season, etc., etc.? Because that's been the newest narrative. It's like, oh, Stoffel might not be that good. And I'm like, well, people. And I, and I, and I mentioned this, I think it was during... I want to say Baku, where I put out a tweet where I said, well, listen, guys, how good is Stoffel van Dorn expected to be at this point? Like... It's going to be hard to stand out in a team with, that is built around Fernando Alonso and, of course, Fernando still being the, the quality of driver that he is. Like, so yeah, so, like, so, how good are you meant to be if you're Stoffel van Dorn? Like, 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 what's the barometer here? Because no matter which way you slice it, that's a hell of a margin to get to. Like, seriously. No, no. Like, Stoffel van Dorn can never get to that level. His only hope is, you know, Fernando leaves the F1 team. Because Fernando Please Alonso do. is... A two-time world champion, or as the younger fans know him as, a three-time world vice champion, because it's been that long since he's been world champion. The people's um, champ. The people's champ king. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to. Ch I'm going to continue to chew this glass bottle. <laughs> but keep 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 going, Aldrich. You, you, you're, you're almost at the center. But but yeah, the 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 only way Stoffel could get that prestige if. If he wins a race for McLaren, that's the only way. Good luck with that. Um, the way the way the top yeah, six is almost locked in stone yeah, at the moment. McLaren, yeah, but don't worry. Um, yeah, but don't worry. This uh, the superior McLaren chassis was uh, good enough to be about fourth best on the weekend if they held up, and well, they didn't. Yeah, the gearbox collapsed. Sadness. Indeed, and stuff will fit. Professional sadness man, world Fernando. So. Indeed. And that was pretty much all of the major action from that race. There's a couple of interesting observations yeah. I'll point out that, that Jolie and Palmer made um, as, as I run down the other order. As mentioned, Daniel Ricciardo wins. Redemption for 2016 for him. Um, winning the race from Sebastian Vettel in second, who now has got more first and second place laps ran than any other driver in the field. Um, having 76 laps in second place this time certainly helped, I'm sure. Um, Lewis Hamilton, somewhat in no man's land, had a rear mirror full of Ferrari for pretty much the entire race. In third, he was in no man's land. Um, Kimi Raikkonen in fourth. Valtteri Bottas in fifth. He, was put, he had a pair of super softs on. Again, just basically followed for Kimi Raikkonen for 60 laps. Poor guy. Um, shout outs to uh, Valtteri's Mika Hakkinen. Oh, that was a, that was a finger beauty. That, that was a finger yeah. beauty. Um, yeah. 
Bell, if you're listening, or Stilo, if you're listening, make a one by two version and I'll buy it. Just, 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 just saying. Um, Esteban Ocon in sixth, only 23 seconds off the win in the end, only five behind Valtteri. And as Jody and Palmer pointed out in his post-race column for BBC Sports, um, like at one point Ocon was 45 seconds behind Valtteri's car, but because the front five were going so slowly to preserve the tyres. Esteban, who was going at full racing speed, was able to close that gap in and only finished five behind Valtteri in the end. This was a very yeah, weird people, Grand Prix. Hmm. Yeah, people were very upset that Esteban let Lewis Hamilton through for position. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen some people were that were like, wanting to take this out on Force India and Esteban Ocon should feel ashamed for letting him through. Like, okay, like, okay, I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure you are a cop, a narc, a combination of the two, if you're taking this out on Esteban Ocon and Force India, because what exactly are Force India going to do in this case? Just tell Mercedes, who supply their engines and their best driver, no, and potentially pull the plug of the whole operation? <laughs> I mean, hasn't Wolf apparently um, said yes, it was an order from us for him to let Lewis by? Listen, there's nothing you can punish them for because team orders are legal in, in F1. And the thing is, technically, it's not a team order. No, it's, it's if anything, it's a request and forcing you didn't have to listen to it, but they did. Um, so, if I, if anything, I would blame forcing you for being so compliant with that. Um, but for me, I do think it's kind of interesting that when Vettel won in Australia, all the fucking tinfoil hat wearers would come out and say that Haas was rigging their shit to let Ferrari win, whereas we just got a direct request from a from from Mercedes to let a Force India buy for Lewis Hamilton, and nobody bats a fucking eyelid. Um, I do find that interesting. Maurizio Maurizio Riva Bene loaded up the Haas mechanics, uh, loaded up their Haas mechanics drinks with uh, like nerves. Of course, uh, before their pit stops, that's what yep. happened. Think mm -hmm. about it. Illuminati, triangles, X-Files theme. Think about yeah. it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, like, when did we put Mercedes back on this untouchable plinth again? I'd like to know. Um, answers on, as, as Craig Charles used to say on Degeshi's Castle, answers on a postcard, please. Um, as, as mentioned, Esteban Ocon in sixth. And just behind him again, he would, would again reeled in the leaders because he was going so quickly. Pierre Gasly in seventh place. Another great points result for him. Um, his second points drive of the year for the number 10. Um, Nico Hülkenberg, solid drive from him in eighth place in the back of that queue behind Max Verstappen, who hit the wall, the great wall of Nico, as he was trying to climb up through the field in ninth. Carlos Sainz in no man's land on his own in tenth place. He was 45 seconds behind his teammate in the end. Uh, oh boy, who poured the bucket of ice on the Carlos Sainz hype train? Um, answers on a postcard for that one too. Marcus Ericsson in 11th place ahead of Sergio Perez and Kevin Magnussen, who again started at the back of the field. Um, Van Dorn, Grosjean, uh, uh, again were 13th and 14th, a lap down. Um, 16th was Sergei Sorokin, who was due for a really good weekend until Williams couldn't get the wheel nuts on the car sorted out while still on the grid, and he was given a 10-second stop-go penalty for not having the wheel sorted out within three minutes of the start. God damn it, Williams! Yeah, <laughs> I was, I'm... Stroll was having issues in qualifying. 
Like, oh yeah, he... he was. Yeah. His uh his car was also his having he was having issues like his engineers wanted to run him at a certain brake bias setting and Lance Stroll apparently said like I will not run this rate setting. I would retire the car before I before I run into this setting. Yikes. This is coming off of two back-to-back drives where he looked very composed and all of a sudden you throw a you throw a 19-year-old kid in Monaco and just bad sorts of things happen. This is applicable to life and not just race cars. Evergreen tweet. Evergreen <laughs> tweet. Yes, Lance Stroll at the back of the field two laps down. And I know Williams have um, have traditionally not gone well around Monaco in recent years, but... Uh, Oh boy, that team is looking like all the dumpster fire at the moment. And you know, it's bad when I saw many a tweet during the race weekend of, hey, maybe it's time we give Robert a go. Can't hurt, right? Oh my god. Don't put Robert through this. Robert deserves better than this, people. Um, Yeah, as I mentioned, the other three DNFs, Charles Leclerc and Brendan Hartley for uh, their... uh, X-rated shenanigans at the Novel Chicane, and Fernando Alonso, who suffered a gearbox failure on lap 52. And Much then pain. Called the Monaco Grand Prix the most boring race and asked that the fans be refunded for it. Hashtag sodium chloride. Sodium chloride. <laughs> Fernando, for God's sake, just just go to IndyCar already. Like seriously, <laughs> we. N- like, like, I just like seriously, just go to IndyCar. You clearly don't want to be there anymore. Like, like, seriously, I've just, I, like, I've had it of just like, if if there was a sorting hat in F1, Fernando Alonso would be Draco Malfoy in the Slytherin camp. I can't stand how petty this man can be sometimes. Just go to IndyCar and give Lando Norris the F1 seat already. Give it to someone that actually wants to be there. Just bugger off already. For God's sake. <laughs> like, I've had it with this. <laughs> like, okay, ran over. Um, <laughs> Are you um, better, though? No, but um, <laughs> it, it, it was it was worth a go. Um, should we talk about Formula Two? Yes, yeah, please. Let's talk about an actually good race. Let's mm-hmm. talk about an actually good race that happened there. Um, man, that was that was so much better than the main event. Really? What a surprise! And that hasn't happened at all this season. <laughs> Like the four yeah, four minute two hit, hit Monaco, and uh, the first like 10 15 laps of the feature race were, um, oh boy, um, <laughs> a bit of a mess, shall we say. Um, I mean, King, like, run us through some of the crazy shit that went on at the start of this one. Well, you'd have to ask RJ about that because unfortunately, I couldn't see the race in full. But I saw it during the middle of my workout, and we had uh, we had cars getting punted off before we even got to the first corner. Um, Shoutouts to Luca Giotto, who got ran into the wall by Antonio Foco off the line. It looked like it was going to be Alexander Albon versus Nick DeVries for the lead of this race, with mm-hmm. Artem Markalov uh, not too far behind. Um, DeVries was trying everything to pass him. Um, George Russell hits the wall. This was not a good weekend for George Russell. No. Um, Disaster. um, Lando Norris then uh, brings out another safety car trying to pass Ralph Boschung at Anthony Nogue's corner, which, uh, King, if you know anything about Monaco, is Anthony Nogue's corner the last corner of the track? Is that a good overtaking place? Oh, hell no. (laughs) Yeah, so Lando Norris tries to send it up a place where you can't pass, and, uh, ends up punting Ralph Boschung, 
who has some... Everybody had very uh, stressed out and salty quotes on the radio during this race. It was wonderful. Yes. This, uh, br- yes, this brings out a safety car, um, and Alexander Albon makes a late call to come into the pits right in front of Nick DeVries, who has the inside line, and yeah, they hit each other and Albon spins, and both cars are effectively done. DeVries is able to get going after a pit stop, but his car is ruined once they get back to racing speed. And out of all this, Artem Markolov just uh, just puts the hammer down and wins the race. Yeah, after Albon after and DeVries effectively took each other out of the race via shenanigans, yeah, it pretty much cleared the path for Artem Markolov, and uh, he put on a exhibition in how to handle your tires. Um... He was ignoring Russian Time's request for a pit stop because he was just going so quickly. Um, it was it was brilliant to see. Um, it was it was hilarious. He was pulling away from Margin Mania at a, at a rate of knots and uh, was just laying down lap records. Um, it was fantastic to watch. Like Artem Markov, when when he's got it all hooked up, boy, is he a joy to watch. Um, just just did the thing. Um, Shout out to Hazel, I know who's listening to this, who absolutely adores him, and rightly so. Um, that was a brilliant drive from Artem, and obviously a little bit of an advantageous situation, given the two guys in front of him took each other out. Well, way to go, Albon. But still, um, you, you, you can only win what's put in front of you at the end of the day, and Markov did that brilliantly. Uh, Sean Galil, who was the, one of the other like guys that was an alternate strategy, would come through to finish in second. And the guy with the, guy with the sponsor this race suit, Roberto Mehi, back on the podium in third. It's feathered and lethal, and it's on the podium. It's Roberto Mary's hair. He's back and in business. Can I also talk about the fact that this is Sean Galeo's best Formula 2 result ever? And yeah. He probably could have won it. This was... I, I give Sean Galeo a lot of crap for not necessarily being best driver, but this was a good race for him. Great race. Well yeah, his, his career-high finish. Um... I love that he said after the race, well, I haven't really got a home race, um, but the flag is similar, so we'll go with that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Galil in second. Great arriving, a guy that, you know, often gets shit-canned on Twitter for advantage to people and he feels go to go to other drivers. So, nice to see Galil get a good result there. And Mehi, the, who still has sponsored us on his race, which I thought was quite funny. Um, he was in third as well. Great result from him. Luis Dedetraz in fourth. And uh, Arjun Marjumani, who, again, was running second at one point, had decent pace up there. Nice result for him to match his, his, his season best of fifth. He had fifth in both races, believe it or not, and had fifth in the sprint race as well. We, we, we kind of glossed over it as well. George Russell, big DNF, tried a dive bomb at the Raskas, got it completely wrong and put it in the wall. Uh, George, 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 not your day, yeah, son. And, uh, yeah, it's it doesn't help when Lando Norris, um, even after that... Uh, rather optimistic overtake yep he uh still comes uh from a penalty finish sits in that feature race yeah means eight more points that russell does not have indeed a shout out to ralph bashong who took the news well when he says that was my podium today got taken out by the quote-unquote super talent totally gutted um yeah, Ralph didn't take it well. That was his four, that was his third straight DNF at the time. And uh, yeah, a frustrating season for the Swiss man down in 16th in the championship. But uh, yeah, Lando Norris, not the best drive from him on that one. But uh, got away with it, finished in sixth. That's racing for you. Um, sprint race and... Uh, 
Fuko got a little bit of redemption with a win in the sprint race despite basically having half the field on his back, which I thought was quite funny. Welcome to Monaco, baby. Um, yeah, um, we had more we had more virtual safety car chaos because more people more people uh stuck. Oh, poor Tadasuke Makino. Why didn't you just stay in GT500? Makino <laughs> struggled to get out of the blocks and Luca Giotto just ran right in the back of him causing a virtual safety car uh that may not have been the funniest incident of the race um <laughs> tell us more because because uh after the uh the third safety car restart this is later on the day uh Nirei fukuzumi uh, misses breaking point going into lap ras cast and uh drifts head on right into the wall uh santino ferrucci I'm sorry, IndyCar Series uh, debutante Santino Ferrucci mm. uh, just decided, you know what? I, I think I'm going to do what he's going to do. I think I'll just park it up here. Just a couple seconds later. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, it was like it was like it was synchronized parking. It was great. Um, I don't quite know how that happened there. But uh, yeah, um, <laughs> that was that was all sorts of hilarious. As mentioned, Fuko taking the win ahead of Delatraz in second, and Lando Norris in third after the reverse grid swap around put him up to third place in the end. And because of that, he extends his championship lead now to 27 points over Artem Markolov in second. Um, he's overtaken both the uh, the the both the Londoners, shall we say, of Alex Albon, who again had a double DNF for the weekend, poor fella, and George Russell, who too had a double DNF. Um, so Markolov's now joint second. Second, he now is ahead of Albon on count back on 71 points each. He has one extra win compared to Albon, and Russell is now down to fourth on 62 points, 36 behind his fellow Brit Lando Norris in the lead of the championship. But yeah, definitely if you haven't already, check out both races. They're a lot more fun than the F1 was, to, to say the least. Um, kind of goes without saying, really, but you know, here we are. Ugh, let me let me look back at this uh, bristling, really long set list. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I can su I could sum up Super Formula, a race that I slept through live, despite promising that I wanted to watch it with friends because I was that freaking exhausted. Um, turns out Naoki Yamamoto, the man better known as Jensen Button's co-driver in Super GT, turns out he's actually really good. He won a very fun race uh, coming up through the field, uh, winning his second race in a row. Remember, the last race at Autopolis got fogged out. So this is back-to-back -back wins of the season. He now leads both the GT500 and Super Formula standings. Should I remind everybody that only three people have ever won both titles in the same calendar gear, and the last person to do it was Richard Lyons back in 2004. Mm -hmm. Dan Tictum would have had a good day, but he had a suspension broken and a wheel-to-wheel -wheel contact. Tom Dillman, though, came back from 18th to finish 4th in that race wow. uh, for the struggling uh, Sunoco Team Lamar, rounding out the rest of the podium, Nick Cassidy, who has always said that Sportsland Suco is his favorite track. It's it's a better day for one New Zealander than it was for another one. Sure. Sorry, Brendan Hartley. And Cass Akajima finished third. Um, watch get a get a motorsport.tv trial and watch this race, or at least just watch the race highlights. It was a good time. Yeah. Um I can probably sum up the Coke six hundred in Kyle Bush just kicked everybody's ass. Super beat him down. 
Yeah, uh, we kind of checked out on the Coke 600. <laughs> we recognize its place in the day of classics. It's just that we didn't really have the energy to cover it. Didn't didn't we do that last? Sorry. Didn't we do that last year? Wasn't it Truex last year that completely dominated that race this time last year? It was either last year or the year before last. Yeah. but either one sounds completely correct. Yeah. <laughs> this year it was Kyle Larson, I believe. Are we, are we really doing this? <laughs> I mean... We're, we're acknowledging it. Uh, shout out to um, Dimea on Twitter for tweeting at me. This year's Code 600 was meh. The last stages were dog shit. I actually enjoyed Monaco more, which kind of says it all. Um, and shout out to um, Gizmo's my pet on Twitter, at um, Harry, who tweeted me saying, I can't mean this year's Code 600 Bush led 377 out of 400 laps. <sighs> Sigh. <laughs> this is see this if this was a video podcast this would be the gif where like captain america pulls up in the chair and it's like so you were hoping for a really exciting day of classics um <laughs> and then he sits down <laughs> it's uh it it, it it wasn't great uh, apart from the indy 500 and that even that split some people given yeah but hey now it was a good time spent with friends yes it was yes. damn it that was the best part of the day of classics is that is the moments that you make with others, and getting to take the piss out of Zoe on a relentless basis. <laughs> like that alone, that alone is worth the price of admission. I call it revenge for all the times she's tweeted me pictures of Tim Hortons and Taco Bell, <laughs> which they have in Glasgow, but apparently we don't have in London for some stupid reason. Thanks a bunch. But one of them has actually had a Formula E race. I didn't say it was a good one. Battersea Park. The race, nonetheless. Battersea Park could yeah, kiss my ass. I managed to make it to that. I went to I'm that. so sorry. So kind of <laughs> <laughs> oh, Battersea Park. We don't talk about that around here anymore. Um, <laughs> like, also, I love that this show is going to go under an hour, but it's going to be barely an hour by the time all the intros have been put into it. But that, that. No, 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 no. We we need to talk about. The other part of Julian Palmer's column. Oh, do we really? About what he would do to try to improve Monaco. Get rid of it. Um. <laughs> you really think we should? We should, you know, toss Monaco in the dust heap of, in the in the ash heap of single seater, single seater feeder specials. Yes. I have no desire to watch that Grand Prix. I've had no desire to for some time. I would watch. I would watch Monaco as a festival, uh, like a futures race and a historic race all sure. together. Sure. Um, but they've they've got to fix the cars first. But that, because yeah. now everybody yeah. they, everybody wants to tear up Albert Park for some reason. Yeah, we we need to fix the cars first. If things don't improve, then we can consider doing that. Yeah, like that's. I was. I was I mean, I made this point on Twitter. I was like, you know. Props to Jolian, um, you know, but and you know what? I don't care that he's on this show. King was right <laughs> last week. Um, <laughs> um, like Jolian was on was was in the booth for Formula Two, and he was excellent. Um, um, yeah, he he really was. He was fantastic. Um, really enjoyed his way better than that other British guy. Screw Johnny Herbert. I've had like he's, he's been terrible all along. Um, but yeah, as I was saying, I mean. The thing is, we all know is we all know it's a car problem. But the problem is, is that 
even the, the people that do know that in F1 aren't acknowledging that it's a car problem and they would rather try and butcher a track first. Like Will Buxton had another one of his creative, let's just drive down here instead solutions like he did for Albert Park before realizing the tunnel that he wants to go down can bear, he's like barely, he's like, it, it would literally be single file. There would be no chance of overtaking down there. And once again, Buxton just comes out of a track solution and gives it no thought. Um, you know, so... It's like Please watch F1 Paddock Pass post race and pre race on Twitter. That's probably the best entertainment of the tell of the sh of the whole Monaco Grand Prix for yes. one weekend. Yes, but uh, don't tell Will to try and fix tracks. Um, like so, so uh, if we're not going to fix the cars, hypothetically speaking, because we all know it's a car problem, but again, the cars are not going to change for at least another two years. Um, what do we do? Do we just drive down um, a different route, or do what do we? What do we do? Do we open up? Um, do we do we open up DRS for the whole lap? Yeah, like Joe and Paul were suggesting. the other way down the track. <laughs> uh, we uh, we simply uh, we do what the Atlanta Braves, my beloved professional baseball team, did, and just make a uh, a new Monaco just up the road and bring it to where the fans are and uh, try and just work out some of the kinks. What you mean? That's not logistically possible. Fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to terraform part of the southern France for this. Sounds like a plan. Actually, can we can we just uh, terraform a part of just any old wear and drop in a Grand Valley Speedway? Oh my god. Yes, please. <laughs> like, there's Maybe no Monaco should be the experiment for doing Mar turning F1 into a Mario Kart series. Sure. You know, the thing is, if we ever dropped Monaco, though, in the event that we would, um, after years of complaining about how bad the race is, you know that people would come out of the woodworks to say, you, Liberty Media has mm -hmm. has broken the last back of tradition that Formula One has and bastardized it completely. Is that before or after they watch the next ten races because nothing will stop them from stopping to watch F1? Mm. I mean, the thing is, if there wasn't a Monaco, we wouldn't have had, like, Baku, um, Singapore, or we might not have had as much of a chance of having, like, Baku, Singapore, I disagree. Valencia. Like, I disagree because Monaco was one of many southern European street circuits. It's the only uh -huh. one that was in a sov like it was the only one that had the power of a sovereign country to keep going and and i disagree and i disagree places like singapore and valencia but for commercial value not because it was going to be a better circuit <laughs> no but if like monaco has survived all this time which is probably given other places that do street of had street circuits think we can maybe do this they might have still had a shot at it but they may have not had the same sort of level of commitment you never know. I feel I feel conflicted because Monaco is traditionally a boring race to watch unless it turns into an absolute shit show of attrition. Alba nineteen ninety six, a race in which only seven cars were classified and only three cars finished, and that was the only time anyone won it from outside the top three in the last thirty three years. But at the same time, like driving it driving it's fun. Why can't the race be this fun? Because because it is a track that cannot adapt with the times and changing world of Formula One, and it is a circuit that no longer suits where the sport is going, and hasn't done for some time. But, but 
hey, it, but, but hey, but it's again, a great spectacle. So let's just drive around it, even though the no, race is no, no, fucking no, it's suck. Dre, Dre, but you, but you bring up the point. It's not in the direction the sport's heading. Is the sport heading in the right direction then? Oh no, I don't. I don't think it is, to be honest with you. But I mean, we've talked about that on previous shows. Like this is the direction F1 is. F1 is going to go down the road of hybrids. They're going to have. You know, like, I'm glad they're slowing the cars down a bit in, in, in two years' time because of, you know, they're trying to make it more raceable, and I think that is definitely a step in the right direction. But I think, like, it's like where I work in Shepherd's Bush in West London. It's like, like Monaco is a diamond-encrusted turd. Like, it, no matter how many sparkles and diamonds you put in it, it's still a, it is still a mound of shit. And, <laughs> like... I've had an irrational hatred towards Monaco for some time. Again, I openly admit this because it's everything I hate about Formula 1 in a nutshell, including, like, the race promoters making up fake tweets as their excuse to get grid cars back on the fucking grid. Like, which is the most shockingly fucking desperate bullshit I've ever heard out of an F1 promotion. Um, So, you know, just another thing to remind me of why I can't fucking stand Monaco. But... I hope I will admit, yes, like this is the this like this like this is like the blue ribbon fucking diamond encrusted hill that most F1 fans are gonna die on. Because you because you can't drop Monaco. Um and if and if you drop Monaco, everyone's gonna kick up a goddamn stink, even though they've had like one good race this decade. So But again, there's there's ways to have Monaco without it still being quote unquote Monaco. It's the reason why we have we still have a Wembley Stadium. The Wembley Stadium there today is not the Wembley Stadium. Nobody gives a shit about Wembley at the moment. Like you know, it's 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 not what it used to be. It's not the twin towers it was in the past, obviously. But at the same time, it's like well well then, King, what do you propose then to make to make Monaco more Monaco? Because I I already have a better version. It's called Singapore. Mm. Well, hey, you mentioned you mentioned Wembley Stadium. Um, Wembley is not the uh, is not the where you decide the Premier League champions, but it is where you decide the uh, the Championship League champions and ultimately who gets to go up to the Premier League. True. So Formula Two, Formula Three marquee event. Yeah, basically what uh, the Pogue Grand Prix is. <laughs> Yeah, basically make it another Macau in that sense. Yeah, the Macau of the West. I guess. I mean, it's, it's a bit like back in the days of MotoGP when they would only they were the only class to go to Laguna Seca. Um, you didn't get a Moto 2 or 3 race at Laguna Seca because they didn't have the facilities to hold them, but it was still like a bit of a special event for MotoGP. I remember back in the days it was on BBC2 and it was like at 10 o'clock at night. And it felt special because it was the only class that was racing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's why Laguna Seca was kind of cool, even though it's, again, probably a bit too old-fashioned and not really safe enough for bike racing these days. But, you know, it, I did enjoy that back then. So, yeah, maybe having it as a, you know, a, a blue ribbon event for the lower classes, like a POW or like a Macau, probably fits a and bit better. And then you'd also, we'd also be in a situation where Formula E could race in Monaco every year. Or the historic Grand Prix could be every year instead of them having to trade off at each, you know, every other year. Oh, yes, and then Lucas Degrassi can bring his best buddy Elon Musk there, and after the race, they can celebrate with a Rick and Morty marathon Rice session. Help us. <laughs> or a game of Dota 2. <laughs>
And now that I've left that image in your head, I think it may be time to wrap this yeah, up. Yeah, please, can we? After that ending, like, dear God. I, I, I'm, like, I'm going to throw up. I don't want to talk about Monaco this much ever again. Right. Let's get out of here. Places you can find us one more time. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Again, as mentioned, all of Day of Classics free on demand. Available now um, on there. Facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, we're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles at Harrison101HD, at Weezo, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. As mentioned, bike live episode. 62 will be on early access as well later this week that'll be a fun one um again talking about all about magic mike's double at donnington and anna carrasco kicking ass yet again for the second consecutive round fun times indeed that'll be me and lewis later this week um and of course you can now find all of our stuff on motorsport101.com.com it's, it's it, it hasn't gotten old yet it's it's still it's still awesome um, and if we break us at $10 level you can get into our discord server and listen to these shows live as they go out um, so Without further ado, that'll, that'll do us for this week. We'll be back next week to talk about IndyCar's duel in Detroit. So that should be a fun time for all involved. Hopefully, it'll, it'll be a lot better than that shit show we got on Sunday. Until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King, RJ O'Connell, and Zoe Hamilton. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Bye.